Hi, welcome to the Refuge House broadcast. We are so glad that you decided to join us today. Here at the Refuge House, we help people discover their God-given uniqueness through the teaching of God's word so that they can be empowered to make a difference and impact the world for Christ. So here's what you need to do. We need you to grab your Bible, your notebook, your pens, and then get ready for a powerful message and see what God is going to do. I believe there are people in your life that probably need this message. So go ahead and share this to them and invite them to be a part of what God is doing today. Thank you and enjoy this week's message. Turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Let me give an, uh, 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 a scriptural portrait of that life that you've been born again to live. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. I'd like us to read it together if you're there. The Bible says now. What is now? What, what, gr grammatically the word, what does now mean? Presently. Right now. Now. All right? The Bible says now, thanks be to God who always. What is always? All the time. No exception. Always means what? All the time. Now, what is God always doing? The Bible says, thanks be to God who always leads us. In what? In triumph in Christ. Two things. God always leads us in triumph in who? In Christ. Two words that are there. The first one is the word lead. How does God lead us? God leads us by his spirit. The Holy Ghost has been given to us and the spirit of God lives on the inside of us to lead us. Bible says as many as are led by the spirit, they are what? They are the sons of God. Say with me. Say, I am a son of God. I told you if you're in Bible study, I said the word son of God means you're born of God. To be a son of God means you're begotten of God or you are born of God or you came from God. Say, I came from God. I came from God. I didn't hear you. Say, I came from God. Take time to think about it. If you came from God, it means your root is divinity. Your foundation is divine. You came from God. To be born again is to come from God or to originate from God. So that means your root should determine how you think. Your root should determine how you see yourself. Your root should determine how you relate, how you interact, and how you function. If you don't know where you come from and you don't know your origin, you will, you will define yourself by anything you meet. Many Christians today are not functioning the way they should is because many are yet to understand that they came from God. Because if you don't know that you came from him, you will not accept the fact that he's leading you somewhere. So we're born of God to be led by God. As sons of God, we are to be led. The word led means to be driven. Driven for what? Can we read it again? Now thanks be unto God. The word God there is God the Holy Ghost. Who always what? Leads us in what? In triumph. The word triumph, write this down, means to celebrate the victory that has been given to us. 
You are victorious in Christ. I want you to say that with me. Say, I am victorious in Christ. Shout it a bit louder. Say, I am victorious in Christ. One more time. Say, I am victorious in Christ. You need to understand that the, the only opportunity we have, the victory was secured in Christ. Jesus defeated anything that can come against us. Jesus defeated Satan. Jesus defeated demons. Jesus defeated the operations of the works of darkness. And Jesus also overcame the world for us. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Jesus said, in this world you're going to have Tribulation. What is tribulation? You're going to deal with struggle. You're going to deal with pressure. You're going to deal with all kinds of human crisis, human weakness. Name them. All are under the word tribulation because the word tribulation means trouble. You're going to deal with trouble. He said, but be of good cheer for I have what? I'm not hearing you. I have what? I have what? Who overcame the world? Christ. He said, I have overcome the world not for himself. I have overcome the word for you and for me. So what is plaguing men should not overcome you. What is troubling men should not overcome you. What is causing men to panic should not overcome you. What men complain about should not overcome you. Why? Because there's a legacy of victory that Christ has achieved for you and for me. He overcame sickness. Somebody say overcame sickness. He overcame poverty. He overcame death. Everything that can attack men has been beaten for us over 2,000 years ago. Now, what, what is the Christian life all about? It's a life where God leads us in triumph. The word triumph means to celebrate the victory that has been given to us in Christ. We are not trying to win. We have already won. You didn't hear what I said. Because in your mind, you're fighting the devil. No, you're not fighting the devil. You are enforcing the victory God has given to you over the devil. That's why I caution you, and, and I've been around a little bit while. Your concept of spiritual warfare must be informed by the commander-in-chief, which is Christ. Don't go and pick up one funny thing about warfare that has nothing to do with what Christ accomplished. What Jesus has done is our reference. He's a manwa. It's our stand and it's our position. Are you hearing me? It is failure proof. He leads us to celebrate the victory. The word triumph, it's another word for more than conqueror. It means someone fought, won, and I gave you the privilege to demonstrate what has been won. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, so when, when Satan tries to hit your body, you open your mouth and release the victory through the confession of your mouth over what Christ. Hey, pain, you can't stay in my body. I reject you. I reject you because if I allow you, you will prevent me from celebrating the vision that I have in Christ. Are you hearing me? So I speak to this circumstance. I speak to this situation. I address this and address that. I take authority over you in the name of the Lord Jesus. You bow to me and it will bow. The work we have is to renew our mind because until our mind is renewed, we'll be trying to do what Jesus has already done. Until our mind is renewed, we will not embrace what he has given us. We'll be trying to make happen what has already been made happen. So the Holy Ghost leads us or drives us or guides us 
to celebrate the victory that we have in Christ. That's the spirit-empowered life. It's a life of triumph. Did you hear what I said? Say what we said, the spirit-empowered life is a life of triumph. See, it's, it's an aberration. It's, it's weird for a Christian to be complaining. If you're complaining, it means you don't know who you are. You didn't hear what I said. See, one of the, one of the fallout of the fall on the human nature is complaint. Once we complain, it's an indication we are not functioning properly. Bible says, do all things without murmuring and what? And complain. So it does not matter what situation that provokes you or what happens around you. Any temptation to complain is a temptation to ignore who you are. Whether it is, there's no water in the compound and the pumping machine did not work that morning, you will lift up your hands and begin to praise God. Do you understand what I'm saying? No complaint. Because the moment you complain, you know what you're doing? You have stopped functioning as you should. You are a spirit being. You have been enabled and empowered by the Holy Ghost. And because of who you carry and who you work with, there are certain things you can't do because they are against your functioning. Why do you think the Bible says in all things give thanks? For this is the will of God in Christ. Why? Because brothers and sisters, Jesus, listen, you get what I want to say. Jesus on the cross ended up, ended every excuse. Did you hear what I said? When he died and said, it is finished. It means any excuse that will not allow you operate in triumph was nailed to the cross. Judge, condemn, sentence, and put away. So if there is any complaint in the life of a believer, it's not because there's no provision. It's because you are ignorant and you are not engaging what has been handed over to you. The spirit-empowered life, watch this, it's a life that God always, that means there are no seasons. There are no down days. It's only up days. Say amen. See, see, in the Christianity, you know, see, so, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm just having some low times. There is no low. It is the error in your mind. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's a way we describe ourselves that is outside our victory profile. Are you hearing me? Rela. There's a way you describe yourself that is outside the victory profile. And if you describe yourself outside what Christ has done, you know what you're doing? You are accepting an error that does not agree with what Christ has done for you. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Let me give you an example. The word says that there are certain things the word used to describe people. If they want to say you are great, they will look at your bank account. Is that not true? How much do you have in your bank account? If you have like 10 million naira or dollar, you are classified as a millionaire. Or then if you live in a very fine house, I heard of a building that collapsed in Banana Island. Almost seven-story building. It was a terrible experience. That tells you a lot of what corruption can do. If you negotiate integrity of building, that's what happens. I don't know if there was any life that was lost, but it was a very painful thing. All right? People tend to describe you in terms of where you stay, where you stay. But, but do you know none of that applies to you? Do you know none of that applies to you? Because what you carry is bigger than it. Are you hearing me? See, where you stay 
is a function of your choice and how you engage the advantage you carry in Christ. It has nothing to do with what anybody says. If you are a Christian and you choose to function like Lazarus, it's your choice. It's not because God wants you to function that way. But Lazarus and those who function as the rich in terms of material, whatever, will go to heaven. But, but if you want to remain a Lazarus, it's not because God wants you to be a Lazarus. It's because that's how you want to function. And God will respect your choice. Are you hearing me? Say with me, say, I choose the spirit-empowered life. Come on, say that. Say, I choose the spirit-empowered life. Say, I refuse to be dominated by any form of limitation, by any form of lack, by any form of excuse. I refuse to be dominated. In the name of Jesus, I embrace my spirit-empowered life. The greater one lives on the inside of me. Say when we say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Go to like two people, tell them, say the greater one lives on the inside of you. Open your mind and declare, say the greater one lives on the inside of you. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. Somebody shout, say, victory is my portion. Shout it, say, I am more than a conqueror. Shout it, say, I am more than a conqueror. Glory be to God. Say, I refuse to be the tail. Come on, say that. Say, I refuse to be the tail. Say, I choose to be the head only. Say, I am the head and not the tail. I am above only and not beneath. In Jesus' name. Now, you, you can imagine the kind... Jesus, the way Jesus lived while he was on earth was a demonstration of the kind of life you and I should live. The life of Christ was like an industrial training experience for the believer. That no matter what you face, you should be in charge. Are you hearing me? One of the seasons of your life where your faith will be tested is when most probably you don't have money. That's where your maturity in Christ will be tested most of the time. Because when you don't have means, it will show the kind of quality of character you've been cultivating in the world. And that will affect, to a great extent, will show if you will stand by the testimony of what you know or the circumstance that you are facing. Say, I embrace my image in Christ. Say, I embrace my image in Christ. All right. Now, we said there are two reasons why we, why some believers are not living the spirit-empowered life. Two reasons. How many reasons? The first one is what? Ignorance. The second one is what? Unbelief. Now, we said unbelief will manifest in different form, fear and doubt, and the second form unbelief manifests is through what? Spiritual slumber. And we said that there are two, see, the goal of spiritual slumber, which is a mindset. Everybody say mindset. mindset. It's, a mind, it's a way of thinking. It's, it's, a, it's a rebellious way of thinking to who you are in Christ. That's what spiritual slumber is. And what you will do 
is to turn you into a spiritual liability. What is a liability? Anything that has no value financially. Is that not true? Yeah. If, if you want to invest in a business, they will ask you before, they will, even if you want to go and take a loan in the bank for a business, the, the bank will ask you your financial viability, whether you are worthy to be given a loan. Are you hearing me? Are you understanding me? See, one of the things life will always test you is to find that if you are spiritually viable, if, if all you're doing is complaining about what you're going through and what is happening around you, what it simply means that the signal you are releasing is that Satan's virus of spiritual slumber has started rearranging the way you think about yourself. And so you are giving out the vibe of spiritual liability, spiritual ineffectiveness. And that's what spiritual slumber do. It wants to shut down your activity in the spirit, reduce your intensity in the Holy Ghost, so that instead of functioning as a victorious person in Christ, you are complaining. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So turn people into spiritual liability. And it does that in two ways. Number one, to get you to embrace lukewarmness. To be lukewarm means to be in spiritually inconsistent. You are not hot. You are not, you're not cold. You're not here. You are not there. So God finds it difficult to walk with you because you are inconsistent. You are high one day and you are what? You're low the other day. That's what the word lukewarm is. And when you begin to, you know, oscillate between hot, cold, hot, cold, it means you are not fit for the demand of your destiny. God still loves you because his love for you has nothing to do with your performance. But if you're going to function and fulfill his purpose for your life, you cannot afford to be lukewarm. Are you hearing me? Write this down. God does not use lukewarm Christians. He won't. Because to be lukewarm is to be unfit. When it comes to identity, who we are, God loves us without, without performance. You, you, don't have to be, you don't have to perform 100% for God to love. In fact, you don't even need to perform at all. Before Jesus began his ministry, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am what? I'm well pleased. So Jesus hadn't done anything yet. God said, I'm pleased with him. So God is pleased with you because you are, because of what he's made you to be in Christ. But if you're going to fulfill his purpose and do the things that destiny has assigned for you, brother and sister, you cannot afford to be lukewarm. The second thing spiritual slumber does to you, which is a threat, is that it makes you into a voice of what? noise rather than a voice for God. You become a voice maker. You are talking, nothing is happening. You are speaking, nothing is changing. You're wondering what is going on around your life. You can, when you evaluate your spiritual progress from January to December, you're not seeing any meaningful progress. Why? Because you are giving out the vibe of noise. And that's what the enemy wants you to do. Instead of becoming a voice of God, that God will celebrate his victory through you are not becoming a voice of noise. And so we said, if you don't deal with those two threats of spiritual slumber, the consequence will result. And we said the consequence of spiritual slumber is what? Slothfulness. Everybody say with me, say slothfulness. Come on, say that. Say slothfulness. That, that's the goal. The goal of spiritual slumber is to make you slothful. And we said, what does it mean to be slothful? It means to be sluggish. It means to be what? Lazy. 
to be laid back. And I gave you five evidence to show that you're slothful. You cannot function in the spirit-empowered life if you do not deal with slothfulness. Let me go through that and I'll go where I want to go because I want to share two things in the first and second service. Are you here? There, I said there are five traits. Because you say, Father, what do you mean by being slothful? How do I know that I'm becoming slothful? I'll give you five scriptural traits. And if any of this is playing out in any area of your life, it means Satan's psychology of slothfulness is beginning to encroach your reasoning. You are beginning to reason in a slothful way. And, and you better be very careful because slothfulness will tone down your spiritual effectiveness and spiritual productivity. When believers become slothful, they don't produce anymore. They just become, you know, they're just there. Nothing is changing. Nothing is happening. It's the same in year in and year out. But that's not my portion in Jesus' day. Amen. What are the characteristics of slothfulness? Number one, excuse giving. Everybody say excuse giving. What does it mean to give excuse? Excuse giving is one of the offspring of procrastination. You know what procrastination is? You've heard about procrastination? Procrastination is the act of postponing to an undefined time or date things you're supposed to be doing right now. That's procrastination. And one of, you know, there's a statement in English that says procrastination is the thief of what? Of time. Because when you keep procrastinating, you will never do what you're supposed to do. And, and can I say this? See, the Bible says God cannot be mocked. Whatsoever a man. What did I? Completed. Whatsoever. And I hope you know the word man doesn't mean male. It means male and female. I hope you know that. When the Bible uses the word man, it's not a sexist statement. It's, it's a word that embraces both male and female. So when he says whatsoever a man sow, that means whatever a male or a female sow, that shall he also reap. So life, write this, that say life is about sowing. Say it loud, I say life is about sowing. And how do you sow? You sow with words. You sow with words. You sow with your actions. You sow with words. You sow with what? Your actions. And you also sow with seeds, material seeds. You also sow. You sow with words. You sow with actions. And you also sow with what? Material seeds. It's a money you understand that. And, and you are supposed to be sowing seeds spiritually. Everybody say spiritually. Say spiritually. You are supposed to be sowing seeds spiritually. You are supposed to be sowing seed physically. And you are supposed to be sowing seed mentally. You are where you are today because of the seed you've been sowing yesterday. There's no magic. When it comes to the kingdom of God, God is no respecter of persons. God does not do preferential treatment. Do you understand that? Where certain things are playing out in your life. You see, there, there is a general operation of God's blessing of favor across us. There are things God gives us irrespective of what we do. For instance, we all have equal access to oxygen. Hello? Do you pay for oxygen? Do you pay for oxygen? Do you pay to breathe? Answer me. Do you pay to breathe? Do you pay to breathe? You don't pay to breathe. You don't pay to be alive. It's a gift that God has given to every one of us. The breath of life is a free gift. 
Nobody may pay subscription for that. That's general. For instance, also, there are certain things God has given to us in nature. Do, do anybody do anything special for rain to come? Rain falls on both the good and the bad. Is that not true? When it's raining, it does it only fall on the houses of Christians. No, it doesn't fall. So there are certain things God has made equal access, equal value. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that the profit of the earth belongs to all. Are you hearing me? Did you hear what I said? So, so your advantage has nothing to do with the country you were born. You are not the way you are because you were born in Nigeria. No. No, no, no. One of the lies Satan will sell you is to blame your origin for your life. Wrong. Life is a product of decisions. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Look at me, everybody. Look at me. Say my life. The quality of my life. The manifestations in my life is a product of the seed that I sow. Yeah. You are where you are because of what you're saying yesterday. There are certain spiritual seed you should sow if you're going to reach certain spiritual harvest. And, and you know the, the interesting thing? Why did Jesus pray the way he prayed? His destiny needed it. What God has called him to do needed it. He had to pray the way he prayed. He spoke the way he spoke because his destiny needed it. Everything he said was what came to pass. Is that not true? When, when he was with the disciples, he opened his mouth and told them that he would be arrested because that was God's plan. He told them he would be tortured. He's, that was God's plan. He told them he would be killed, crucified, and he will rise again the third day. Did he not say that? He, said, he had to sold them so that they can be ripped. That's how God operates. So, based on the seed he sowed, the words he spoke, the actions he took, hey, and the seed he sowed, he aligned himself with the expectation of God's destiny for him. And when you are supposed to be sowing seed, and you keep giving excuse, you are denying the opportunity of destiny to play out in your life. Did you hear what I said? Come on, talk to me. Did you hear what I said? Oh, yes. It affects all your life. There are some things some of us are regretting now because the time we were supposed to make certain things, we didn't do it. We didn't decide certain things for time. So th there are some things that are not starting as early as they should. Why? Because you didn't make certain choices on time. You keep pushing it up. There were times the Holy Ghost called you to pray. You didn't pray. You slept. There were times the Spirit was calling you to read the Word. You didn't read the Bible. You slept. You kept giving excuse. And so some of the seeds you were supposed to sow, you didn't sow them. And when the time, the time came for the harvest, you couldn't reap the harvest because you didn't sow. Are you hearing me? So the first excuse of slothfulness or evidence, I like to use the word evidence. The first evidence that you are becoming slothful is giving excuse. Did you hear what I said? Tell anybody, say, no more excuse. One of the life of excellence is no more excuse. Did you hear what I said? Don't tell me, you know, you know, Pastor, my own is very different. You know, there's a way my body is, my, my body clock, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. When you play, when you are supposed to pray, you will reap the fruit. Look, can, can I say this to you? It's not the fact that you started well. It's the fact that you end well. You know what the Bible says? It said, him that endureth to the end shall be what? 
shall be saved. The Bible says, Paul told the Corinthian church, I mean the Galatian church, you began in the spirit, but you are trying to end up where? In the flesh. So if you are going to operate the spirit-empowered life, you must delete every manifestation of excuse giving. Did you hear what I said? Mm. Did you hear what I said? Because some of you now, you're not reading your Bible because I am sure you have a reason. You're not reading your Bible. You read your Bible once, only when you come. In fact, some of you only open your Bible when you come to church. Let's get to the basis. You only open your Bible when you come to church. And, and if we go back to your schedule, your consumption of social media, the number of hours you put, you don't have data, but you have data to watch social media. And, and if you take a peak of those periods, and focus it on your spiritual development, your life will be different. Are you hearing me? Listen to me, listen. You cannot be spiritually effective by being poor in spiritual investment. You don't become strong in faith by being weak in the world. If you are going to be strong in faith, you have to be strong in investment on the word and on prayer. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you understand that? Hallelujah. Number two. Another evidence of slothfulness you must be very wary of, which is very important. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is you become meanliness and unproductive in your spiritual activity. The Bible says in Proverbs 26 verse 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. When we become slothful, we stop producing spiritually. Because once you start giving excuses, the next thing that follows is that you don't produce anything spiritually anymore. You don't. Your energy does not make any meaningful contribution to your life and to your destiny. The Bible says in Matthew 25, how many of you remember the parable of the talent? where the master called all his servants and gave them different talents. You remember the parable? He gave some ten, he gave some five, he gave some two, and he gave one, one. And the Bible says he gave them according to their abilities. Now, the one that did, is it five or so? Multiplied it to ten. The one that did two multiplied it to four. Then the one that had one, hello? One. What did he do? He went and buried the one in the ground and waited for his master to come. Why did he do that? He said, I know who you are. You are a very austere man. You like to reap where you didn't sow. So since you gave me one, <laughs> I just felt I will keep it the way you gave me. So that when you come, the way you give me is the way I will, I will give you back. The, the, then the, the, the master looked and said, you are a wicked and lazy servant. Even if you don't want to do anything, you could have taken what I gave you. Go and put it in the bank. Let it yield interest for me. Which means God does not approve inactivity. Go and put it in the bank. I have put something inside you. There is a seed of greatness on the inside of you. Say that with me. Say there is a seed of greatness on the inside of me. If you don't invest that seed, it will remain dormant. And what slothfulness does is to make sure that you don't invest the seed of greatness that you carry. You just stay the way you are. But somebody said, that's not my portion in Jesus' name. Number three, when you are slothful, another evidence is that you become slack. 
towards kingdom business. You begin to measure on more on personal business and you minor on kingdom business. Now, listen to this. Anytime you observe that your interest and pursuit of personal agenda is becoming greater than kingdom interest and pursuit, know that slothfulness has entered your mind. When it comes to what you want and what is your own, there's no excuse. You can do anything. But when it comes to kingdom, you will either forget or you are inconsistent. It shows that slothfulness has invaded your mental space. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, some of us, we don't evaluate it. We can make sacrifices for ourselves and the things that concerns us, but when it comes to the kingdom, um, God will understand. It is a slothful mindset that thinks like that. And, and can I say this to you? The Bible says God is a God of knowledge, and by him our actions are weighed. God does not just relate with your intention. Your actions are evidence of your true intention. You can tell someone, I love you, but your action shows that I don't love you. So it's not just to be intent or to have the intent. It is the evidence of that intent by what you do. Hallelujah. Somebody say in Jesus' name. I refuse to be slothful in kingdom business. Romans 12 verse 11. It says, not slothful in business. What business? Kingdom business. Fervent in spirit. The word fervent means to be hot, to be boiling. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In other words, you cannot afford to serve God. It begins from the way you wake up in the morning. Or the, no, not morning. How you go to bed in the night. Some of us don't plan to be in church early. How do I know? It begins from the way you sleep. You wait till the next morning to select the clothes you want to use. Now, the, the chance is that before you figure out what you want by the morning of Sunday, and you now pick up what you want to wear, and you put all your other preparations, you will be late to church. And, and it's not a mistake, it's a sign that there is an enemy in your thinking that is not honoring God as you should. And if it doesn't bother you spiritually, it's because slothfulness has invaded your mental space. How you come to church? One of the things I tell my family, I have the time I come to church. I don't like coming to church late. I do that because of the sake of honor. And once it gets it, I'm done. I'm gone. I, I can't serve God with that mind that I will come to his house late. I don't do that. I don't. I've never been a late person. I've always been early. Early. It's a discipline. And it's one of my expression of honor for God. When God needs me at my duty post, I should be there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me ask you a question. Would you want God to give an excuse for blessing you when it's time for him to bless you? Answer me now. Come on. Do you want God to give an excuse to bless and promote you when you should, you should bless and promote you? So why, why should I give an excuse not to be at my duty post when I'm supposed to be there? It just tells you that there is an enemy in my mind that is trying to affect or twist the way I relate with him. Am I making any sense? Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you are the type that struggle with sleeping in church, go to bed on time. What did I say? And don't take drugs that will make you sleep in church. Wait till after church till you take them. Do you understand me? It's your planning. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Number four. Another evidence that our mental space has been evaded by slothfulness is 
lack of faith, active faith and patience. When you're slothful, believing God becomes a problem. Waiting till your harvest comes becomes a problem. You become very impatient. The Bible says in Hebrews 6:12 that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit what? The promises of God. If you're going to walk into the manifestation of any promise that God has given to you, you must fight against slothfulness. Because what slothfulness will want you to do is to want you to step out of the arena of faith. You stop walking by faith and you start walking by your senses. You start walking by the things you see, the things you feel, the things you hear, and the things around you. Faith has nothing to do with the external. Faith has everything to do with what God has said. The Bible says without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. So when you are active spiritually, you live, function, and operate by faith. So you submit your life, your body, your dealings to the principles and practice of faith. And faith is about declaring what he has said. Say amen. amen. The Bible says he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. What does faith say? Let the weak say, I am strong. Glory be to God. What does faith say? When men are cast down, I will say, that's how faith talks. Faith speaks what God has said. And what is patience? Patience means you maintain your stand of faith till your harvest will come. That's patience. But what slothfulness tries to do is to attack your mindset and to make you impatient. And, and maybe you'll be hearing a story about that very thing you are waiting for. Somebody else is getting it. Then you not say, God, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? That, that factor that is making you question the faithfulness of God is a mindset of slothfulness. The Bible says it is impossible for God to lie. Let man be a liar and let God be true. Are you hearing me? But, but when slothfulness comes, guess what you do? You start becoming impatient. Instead of praising God when you are tempted to doubt, you start complaining. That's a sign that slothfulness has invaded your mental space and you have to cast it down. Hallelujah. And number five, finally on that, the final evidence that you're slothful in the way you think is that you begin to experience spiritual decline or decay. Everything begins to shut down spiritually and collapse. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 18, the Bible says, by much slothfulness, the building decays and through idleness of the hand, the house drops through. You don't pray when you should pray anymore. You don't read your Bible. When you, and it doesn't bother you. You can watch Netflix. There's nothing wrong with Netflix. There's nothing wrong with leisure. But when you do only leisure and no spiritual contribution, then there's something wrong. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There is what? There's something wrong. Something happens instead of you to begin to pray. You start, you start worrying. You start, you start worrying and trying to see what you can do to fix it. Why not go to God first and talk to him? Why is it that whenever something happens, your first response is to start crying? And start looking like you are hopeless and helpless when God, who is your helper, is on the inside of you and you can go to him and say, Father, look, see what's on ground. Why is it that whenever we're faced or confronted with a crisis, instead of going to God, we just go to one corner and begin to run scenarios in our mind, scenarios of, of fear, scenarios of ah, how come this thing is happening to me? What am I going to do? What will happen? You're trying to figure stuff. I told you how God taught me a lesson years ago. 
when I came to this town, I was young. I'd done youth service. I've been in the town for almost one year. No job. I was caught in somewhere. And where I was staying, they, was, they were maltreating me. You know, there are places you go, they punish you with food and all that. Not because of, of anything. They just don't want you there. And I was staying in the boys' quarter. And one morning, uh, there was a temptation that came to my mind. I started thinking, because I was comparing what God said and some of the things that were playing out. I said, what's going on? Did I miss it? Is something wrong? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. See, hear me. If you get to that point and you don't hear the Holy Ghost, take some time to fast and pray and correct it. Are you hearing me? Are you understanding what I'm saying? When you get to that place where something is happening to you, you it doesn't cross your mind to go to the word of God or go back to a message that was preached and you go and listen to it or you need to spend some time to pray but rather you find it easy to worry and to complain and to be bothered that something is wrong spiritually. You'd have to stop it before it gets out of control. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm thinking about my life. He said, which life? Then he said something to me. He said, hear me. That it is not your responsibility to figure your life. He said, that's my part. That's my own. It's not your own. He said, your responsibility is to believe me and do what I tell you. Do you know what he told me was what Jesus said? Take no thought for your life. Are you hearing me? What you shall eat, what you shall wear, or what you shall put on. He said, for after all this, the Gentiles seek. Is that not so? Huh? He said, but what do you do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and every other thing shall be what? added to you. That means when I'm tempted to worry or care, Bible says casting all your cares upon him because he what? He cares. So whenever I'm faced with a crisis and I find it easier to be worried or to carry care, it means that something is wrong with my spiritual stability. What do I do? I better go back to God and correct it very fast. Listen to me and listen to me. You are faster in the place of God's presence than your effort. Are you hearing me? Did you hear what I said? You are faster in the place of God's presence than your effort. Are you listening to me? So whenever you notice anything is threatening your spiritual equilibrium, what you do immediately is stop, go back to God, and get it rectified. Somebody say glory be to God. Which brings me to what I want to begin to quickly address. Slothfulness is not something you should tolerate. Don't tolerate it. Go to Proverbs 24. The consequence of slothfulness. What it is. Proverbs 24. We're going to look at two consequences of slothfulness. Because the goal of spiritual slumber, the unbelief of spiritual slumber, is to make you slothful. Make you excuseful. Make you start producing meaningless spiritual activity. Become unproductive. Make you slothful in kingdom business. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's what slothfulness wants you to do. And, and it also wants you to become, and, and, and this is something you must take very, very serious. It also wants you to become, to lack active faith and patience participation in your affair. Want you to be faithless. Wants you to be, to be full of cares, worries. No more patience. Instead of you to praise God when you are tempted to that, you complain. And finally, it wants you to become spiritually confused by causing spiritual decline and decay or collapse around you. Proverbs 24, are you there? You must not tolerate slothfulness. Don't do that. Proverbs 24, are we there? It says, I went to the field of the slothful. The word slothful means the lazy man. 
To be slothful is to be lazy, to be laid back, to be full of excuse. I went to the feed of the slothful, and by the vineyard, he uses the illustration of a vine. A vineyard is a farmland where they planted vine. Vine is one of the fruits that is used to produce wine. So the Bible uses the description of a farmland made up of vine to describe the life of a slothful man. He said, I went by the feet of the lazy or the slothful and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. There's something very important for you to know. God is saying that when you are slothful, it shows you lack understanding. Did you hear what I said? What is understanding? Understanding is the wisdom strategy to win. Understanding is what? Say that one more time. Say it one more time. If you are going to win, then you must not be slothful. When we were in campus, I did engineering. When we were in campus, one of the things that will make you stand out if you want to perform well, you must make time to study as you should. Are you hearing me? There is no mumu. When, when you say somebody is dull, it's because the discipline required to bring out his, his brilliance was not cultured on time. So because of that, the person has gotten used to certain other activities that are occupying the brain. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because God did not create any... To say God created one person don't or a dullard is a lie. That's a big lie. Satan has lied to you and if you believe it, you are lying. There is no dull child. The reason you see dullness is because the people who were supposed to bring up the child did not surround that particular child with enough discipline to harness his mental intelligence. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Please get what I'm telling you very clear. And, and, and for whatever reason, if you want that person to do, then you have to commit to the discipline of training that person to pay the attendant attention to what it takes to excel. So, lack of understanding means lack of the winning strategy. If you want to do well, you must be willing to pay the price. What did I say? Yeah, there's a price for greatness. You want to do well in your academics, you, you, it begins from how you start the semester. There are some people that have a very bad strategy. They wait till one week to the exam. How many of you know people like that? Have, have you seen people like that? They wait till what? One week to the exam. Then they now do what we call crash program. They will now combine cramming everything. Then at that point, because you did not, you were not, you were not strategic in your planning. You are not trying to compress something you should have. Can you imagine something that could have taken you three months to do effortlessly? You are not doing it two weeks. Will you do well? Will you do well? You will do well because your strategy is weak. You lack understanding. Or maybe we are partying first month. Where I say, oh boy, Moku rock school. Uh, waiting up. Nobody wants that they leave. I beg. So the time you were supposed to be reading, you'll be traveling with your friends. You go out. Then you now stay very late. And you now go to bed. Listen, if you go to bed late, you will wake up late. 
There's no demon there. There's no devil there. Are you hearing me? You wake up late. I don't do night reading. But when I tried it, it didn't work for me, so I stopped it. So what I do, I sleep very well in the night, but I manage my activity during the day to make sure I maximize time to read and to study. So when I get to the hall, I will not be doing Jesus. Hey, my village people don't come over. I know they remember again. It's not your village people. It's bad planning. So as I just reached there, in fact, as I entered the hall, it's like everything just left my brain. I couldn't look. I looked the question. Everything just blessed. Nothing did there. Everything just blank. Even the first question, blessed, they never teach us. They taught you. You didn't read. You lack understanding. You're a slothful person. That's why it now makes it look that some people are like genius. Meanwhile, it's the same textbook that both of you are reading. But you didn't start reading it on time. You didn't read it on time. You were assuming. And one of the things that can overthrow a man is assumption. You begin to assume. Be very careful. Devote. Go to the next verse. What did he say next? He says, I went by the feet of the lazy man, the man void of understanding. What happened to the man? What happened? There it was. What happened? All overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. His stone wall was broken. I stay there. What does this picture transmit to you? Huh? Sorry? No, 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 no consequence. What, this, as you are reading this picture, there it was, overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettle. Its stone walls was broken. Who can get it? One, there is one word this verse communicates. Who can see it? No, yeah, it's laziness, but there is a word. Who can see it? No, poverty. Now, who's saying that one? No, it's not poverty. Who can tell me what this verse shows? There it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with needle. His stone wall was broken down. One word. Sorry? Neglect. Who said it? Very good. Neglect. That means you were, before your farmland started overgrowing with thorns, you should have seen it. Is that not true? You should. Maybe you were supposed to be going to the farm. You know, my, my father taught us farming, not garden, not, garden, not the one in the back of your household. You would go inside bush and go and clear. That, that, the real farming, he taught us that. And the little I know about farming is that when you first go and go and prepare the ground and you plant, you go at a particular interval to weed. Is that not so? Why do you weed? Because if you don't weed, what you plant will be threatened by do you understand by the weight? The, but now, look at this picture. Overgrown. What is overgrown? It means it was not being attended to. It was abandoned or it was neglected. It was abandoned, it was neglected, and the vineyard became, it, what was planted originally was the seed of greatness or the seed of destiny that God placed in the vineyard of your life. That was what was planted. And you were supposed to be attending to that seed of greatness through your lifestyle, through your prayer life, your reading the word, your discipline. But guess what? You abandoned it. You stopped doing what you were supposed to do. And the things that were not supposed to be there, they were not just growing, they became overgrown. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They became what? Overgrown. And the things they were overgrown with 
are things that makes it difficult for the seed of greatness to thrive. That's why it now looks like some Christians are spiritually abandoned by God. No, God does not abandon. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The issue is you're not drawing near. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So guess what? There are some enemies, some weeds, some spiritual weeds that are in your life. Relational weeds and all kinds of weeds. They are not just there. They are overgrown. And they are overgrown with thorns and needles. These are plants that choke the vine and makes it difficult for the vine to blossom and to thrive. Not only that, watch it. He said the wall. The wall was meant to protect the vineyard. One of the enemy of the vine is the fox. You've heard that the fox that spoils the vine. You've read that in the Bible. You've heard it. The enemy of the vine is what? Is the fox. So the wall was built around the vineyard to protect it from the invasion of foxes. But the wall was broken. So if you were going to the vineyard, you would have noticed that there are cracks building on the wall. And you would have had enough time to fix the crack before it gets broken down. Are you listening to what I'm saying? See, see that's what slothfulness does. Slothfulness makes us abandon our spiritual priorities and responsibility. Write it down. Slothfulness makes us what? Abandon our spiritual priorities and responsibilities. That's what it does. That's the goal of the unbelief, uh, the, the unbelief of spiritual slumber. To make you abandon, you suspend your spiritual priorities and your responsibility. You abandon it. You don't do what you're supposed to do. You avoid prayer meeting. Even in your personal prayer life, you don't. It's easier to sleep than to pray. Unknown to you, your destiny is being overgrown with some thorns and needles. And the walls around that is supposed to protect is being broken down. You are not attending to what God has put in your life. Hallelujah. Go to the next verse quickly. What is it? It says, what's the next verse? When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received what? I like the word considered, looked, and received. It shows giving the right attention to something. Many of us are surface glancer. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let me repeat what I say. I say many of us are what? surface glancer. Some of you cannot even maintain your focus for one minute. L let me give you this illustration. Have you been talking to somebody, you were discussing something, right in the middle of the discussion, the person will change the subject. Maybe you do it sometimes. You understand what I mean? Why? Because that person finds it difficult to retain or hold his focus. You are discussing something. In the middle of the JC, would you, ah, you see what he, uh, governor do for our state. Meanwhile, you're saying something different. That shows your focus is unstable. You're, you cannot hold on to focus for a very long time. It says, when I saw it, I considered it. I took time to analyze what is before me. Then I looked on it. And I looked on it to the point that I received the instruction to take the appropriate steps to address it. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Then go to the next verse. He said, this is my conclusion. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hand. What will happen to rest? What does rest mean? You become inactive. The time you were supposed to do certain things, you don't do them. You ignore them. You abandon them. You relax. You get laid back. And he says, then what will happen in the next verse? He said, your poverty, that word poverty means lack. The lack of the adequate resources. Resources of money. Resources of friends. Resources of opportunities. Resources of divine setup that God has already scheduled for you. You will lack them. He said, your poverty, your lack of them will come on you as a prowler. The word prowler means someone that forces his way into a place, an intruder. That's what arm robbers do. Hey, who did it? 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 Who They will ask for your permission. They will break the, your door. If your door is not strong enough, they will force themselves into the house. That's what they do. All right? And your need like an armed man. Write this down. The first consequence we can extract from what we just read. First consequence of slothfulness is exposure to demonic oppression and manipulation. Brothers and sisters, you cannot tolerate slothfulness. Because if you do, you become exposed to demonic oppression and what? Manipulation. How many of you know this, that in Christ, Satan is under your feet? How many of you know that? You know that? In Christ, what is Satan? Where is Satan? Somebody say, under my feet. But when you are spiritually asleep, the one you have the advantage over will begin to take advantage of your lack of taking advantage over him. Did you hear what I just said? Who has the advantage? Say, I do. When you do not engage your advantage, the one you have the advantage over will take the advantage over you. That's why Paul says, give the devil no place. The word no place means give the devil no advantage. Let me show you why. Go to Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 9 and verse 10. When we are slothful, we become exposed to demonic oppression. Demonic oppression means Satan attacks you and your, right, your rights in Christ does not speak over you. So it's possible a curse that was working in your father will start working in you. Not because they have a right, but because you're not functioning. So if your father is always madly broke, you will start noticing the same symptoms playing out in your life. If your father married five wives, you will not find that after you marry your wife, interest for other women will start. Hello? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because Satan is, Satan's trick is not new. He works with patterns. If he tried something with your generation and your father and it worked, he will come with it for you. The only way to stop it is to function as a new creation. Otherwise, the same poverty strike that hits your family will come for you. Did you hear what I said? Listen, watch this. Everybody pay attention to this. He says, and you beast of the field, come to devour. What is the beast of the field? The beast of the field refers to Satan, demons, and the oppression of darkness. Because the word beast is referring to a nature that is just to devour. That's what a beast is. It has no intelligence to select. That's why if you throw a living human being in a cage of a lion, it will do what? It will eat it. Because it's a beast. A beast does not 
the only intelligence it has is to differentiate its kind. But if you put anything there, it will eat it. Whether it's a child, it won't say this is a little child, this is a big adult. Put it there, it will consume it. That's what the beast does. It's in the nature of beasts to do what? To devour. It says, come and you beasts of the field, come to devour. All you beasts in the forest, come. Why will the beast be invited to devour? To tell you Satan is the beast, First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, walks about seeking whom to what? To devour. So the beast is referring to Satan and the oppressions of darkness. Go to the next verse. Go to the next verse. Everybody look at it. What did he say? He says his watchmen are what? Why will the beast want to devour? Because the people who are supposed to be on the watch, what is happening to them? They are blind. They are not seeing. They are not only blind, they are what? That, that, that looks like the attack of Satan. They are blind, they are ignorant. What is next? They are all dumb dogs. What is a dumb dog? A dog that has lost the ability to bark. It says they cannot bark. What did it describe next? Sleepy, lying down, loving to, to slumber. Just chilling. They've gone to sleep on who they are. They've gone to sleep on what they carry. They don't declare the word. They are weak to no plan. They'll tell you, confess. Uh, Pastor, if you know what you're saying, yeah, the only thing I'm doing, you, are, you love to sleep. You don't have time to pray. You don't have time to confess the word. You align the situation around you to regulate the way you function. Loving to sleep. So the beast is invited to devour the one who is blind, ignorant, dumb, cannot back, lying down, loving to sleep. That's exposure to demonic oppression and manipulation. Go to the next verse. What did he say next? He says, yes, they are greedy dogs which never have enough. They become covetous. They start eyeing other people's things. Then he says, and they are shepherds who cannot understand. They've lost their spiritual senses. They all look to their own way, not their way in Christ anymore. Are you paying attention? They now look to their own way. Everyone for his own gain, from his own territory. So the beast refers to the incursion of demonic oppression and manipulation. The Bible said in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, works about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You woke up one morning and you saw a little patch on your hand. It was not there before. You were not born with it. It wasn't part of you. And you just ignored it. You went to sleep on it. You did nothing. You were quiet. Just wait for this one. Was it there where you were born? No. Now, from a patch, it starts to eat you. From itching, it starts to swell. First of all, it was the size of a little corn. From a little corn, it becomes the size of um, cannier. From cannier, before you realize, one heavy thing is just hanging from your body. And guess what? You did not say anything. You woke up one morning. Before you went to bed, there was no pain. Oh. And this one is not even exercise. 
You now woke up and you felt a pain in the side of your body and you kept quiet. Is pain a part of living a normal life? No. It's a beast. The beast is sending it to test your water, to test your zone. Just one, whether she will tolerate it, whether she will accommodate it. Just, just a little, a little, a little sleep, a little folding of the hand. Just chill, leave it, ignore it, it doesn't matter. When you are supposed to be spiritually active, angry, annoyed, and tell the devil in the name of the Lord, I curse this, you will not stay in my body. You just keep quiet. That's you know, no matter. Or you notice a pattern playing out, an oppressive pattern that's playing. Either it's a near miss, when you're almost eating it, something will go wrong. When you're almost getting it, something will go wrong. And you're, then you just fold your hand and you keep quiet. You don't, you know, you're just there. You do nothing. Just chill. I remember the testimony of Brother Ian Chen shared in church. He, that there was this particular ailment that kept coming and going, kept coming and going, kept coming and going, kept coming and going. That one day he said, enough is enough. And it took time to pray intensively and to resist it. And when he prayed and prayed and prayed, he had a dream. In the dream, he said he saw a beast that was coming to attack him. And he took a cutlass and hacked it into pieces. That was the day the affliction ended. Some of you will, some of the Holy Ghost will give you a dream. Pray about this. Declare this. When you just look at it, you just wake up. Then you know what some of you will do? Now, wow, which kind of dream be this one? Eh? God, you will do nothing. Then by, by not reacting spiritually or resisting spiritually to what the enemy is throwing at you, you are opening a door for Satan to take it to the next level. A father called all his children together and said, um, I want all of you to know that even though you are my children, I love you, but none of you will be better than me. Ah, then the senior son said, what kind of uh, statement and prayer you will make as a father? Are, we not, are you not supposed to pray for us to be better than you, a better improvement of you? He not turned and looked the son. He said, for saying that, you will see. Everybody, they just, you know. he go home. They slept. The next day they woke up, his wife was dead. His wife was what? Was dead. You have the authority and you have the power. By virtue of the fact that you are a spirit-empowered being, you are supposed to watch your territory because Satan is looking for you to go to sleep. The Bible says you must be vigilant, you must be sober because your adversary or your enemy walks about seeking whom he may what? Devour. You've heard that your father used to have a particular kind of ailment. And here you are you are beginning to notice the signs and the symptoms in your health. What are you going to do? Are you just going to keep quiet, tolerate it and lie to tribe? No, you open your mouth and you do what? You resist it. The Bible says resist the devil and he will what? He will what? Hear this. Let me say this before I stop. When to be asleep is to be blind. Ignorant. Dumb like dogs that cannot bark. When a believer becomes, begins to demonstrate this trait, the slumber of the believer gives the enemy the place and the opportunity to strike with demonic oppression and manipulation. When we are awake and watchful, we are keeping ourselves in our advantage in Christ 
And as a result, the enemy cannot strike us. Let me show you two scriptures and I stop quickly. 1 John 5, 18. Go there. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. You are to maintain your spiritual territory. What did I say? When it comes to dealing with Satan and demons, it is your responsibility to maintain your spiritual territory. Are you hearing me? 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. What does the Bible say? Can we read it together, everybody? Want to go? Want to go, everybody? Uh huh. Continue. He who is born of God, what does he do? Keeps himself. Then what will happen? And the wicked one does not touch him. So if you don't keep yourself, what will happen? The enemy will touch you if you don't keep yourself. And how do you keep yourself? You keep yourself in the advantage that has been given to you in Christ. Am I making any sense? Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you don't do that, final scripture, you know that uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27. It says, nor give place to the devil. Let me read this and I'll stop. Whenever you observe a trend of demonic oppression and manipulation in a place, in a life, in a family, or in a situation. It is because those who are supposed to be spiritually awake and alert has gone to sleep. They've started becoming spiritually careless. Lift your right hand up. Say in the name of Jesus. I reject every form of spiritual carelessness. There are many Christians that have died before their time because they were spiritually careless. There are many Christians that have found themselves in the uh, hospital under one terrible disease because they were spiritually careless. May you not be spiritually careless in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear me and hear me. It's because, hear this, it's because those who are supposed to be spiritually awake and alert has gone to sleep. Spiritual slumber is like taking a vacation on your stand and resistance against the devil and his work. You are no longer eager, excited to hear, read, meditate the word of God. They hardly confess the word. They've become slack in their spiritual responsibility. They've gone to sleep on their spiritual priorities and responsibility. Rise up on your feet. Hallelujah. We're going to look at the second consequence of slothfulness in the second service. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. We pray that these words will take root in our hearts and begin to bear fruit in our life in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to honor you with our offerings. We acknowledge that you're the one who has given us. Thank you for joining us today. Your generosity helps us to take this message to the ends of the earth. You can give on our website at www.therefugehc.com. Org. So go ahead and click on the link in the description. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this.